What we do is we don't flinch, we don't cower, we don't blink, we don't back down. If we're not careful, we can build our churches in such a way that we're trying to be relevant to everyone in culture, trying to reach people who have already rejected Jesus. Acts 4.13 says, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived them unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they'd been with Jesus. And that's the boldness we have to have. Now, more than ever, it takes guts to live for God. On this podcast, we're talking to leaders, coaches, politicians, and industry influencers about what it takes to live the God kind of life. You're listening to the It Takes Guts podcast with Bill Shear. Hey, I want to welcome you to, and hopefully back to the It Takes Guts podcast. I'm Pastor Bill Shear from... Tulsa, Oklahoma, Guts Church. Uh, sure, man, glad that you're you're here. Um, Guts isn't an acronym. It's the name of our church, and it's just simply what it takes for us to live for Jesus. And today, I believe it's going to be an appropriate, A, a guest, and B, content for living for Jesus. Um, you know, there's nothing else in this, on the, on the planet, that's going to be fulfilling. Man, everything else is it isn't gonna satisfy you. It isn't gonna it isn't gonna um bring any kind of fulfillment at all to our lives except for what we do for God. And uh so join me in and let's welcome Luke Barnett from Phoenix, Arizona to the It Takes Guts podcast. Welcome, Luke. Pastor Thank Luke, you. it's good to good to see you. Thank you for joining us. Um man, you have been You've been in ministry all your life. Your dad is an icon in ministry. He's on he's on my Mount Rushmore. So, man, <laughs> tell him to finish strong because uh, man, it's important. What a what an amazing guy. Um, you know, guys that there's two commas in the numbers of lives they've impacted for the kingdom and souls they've they've won to God. That's a big deal to me. Um, you know, it's funny because religious people and even the world, they'll say, man, it's, it's all about numbers to you guys. It's like, yeah, you're doggone right. It is. And, and, uh, there's 7 billion of them on the planet and there's 330 million of them in America. And, you know, we're on the clock, Luke. I don't, I don't want a piece of the pie. I want the whole pie. Um, man, just why don't, why don't you give me a little of your background, familiarize everybody with who you are and, uh, we'll roll. Sure. Well, I, like you said, I followed a, a legend in the ministry. We have a large Hispanic population here at our church. And one of our Hispanic ladies walked up to my dad and she said, Pastor Tommy, you're a legend. She went to say legend, you know. <laughs> we tease my dad a lot about that. But, uh, you know, He's just been a tremendous example my entire life of um, integrity and uh, just staying single focused on the most important thing, which is uh, leading people to Jesus. And so I was raised in that. And uh, 2006, I became my dad's executive pastor. Then in 2011, he had a heart valve repair. And I stepped in for six months. And um, it was at that time we made the transition. My dad called it uh, 
forced change because uh, he was raised to die in the cold. Yeah. Know? And uh, he looks back and says, now, you know, uh, I'd probably still be pastoring the church. You know, it wouldn't be the best thing for the church. But he's here and cheering us along and part of what's happening now. Well, and what I love is the generational aspect where it's multi-generations. I mean, you know, there's four generations of guts and we're only 30 years old. So, you know, I'm sure. And, and, you know, that's the one part of it, Luke, that I look on. I think, man, so much of this is just so much more amazing than I ever dreamt it could be or ever would be. And that's one of those things where I'm like, if there's a feather in my cap at all, it's that we we pastor four generations and we're taking care of, man, it, the the legacy it, it, of your your dad's life, your life, your church is just phenomenal. I mean, it's, man, eight campuses. I don't, I'm, who knows how many dream centers that you are yeah. directly or indirectly involved in. And, you know, really honestly, we've got a distribution center and I, I we didn't call it a dream center because we're, kind of not conformist so with it, it it's a dc so it's probably like a second cousin to a dream center <laughs> but uh but um you know just the impact you know i know that you know my son and i were driving in my truck 10 or 12 years ago and he said dad we need to start feeding the poor and i said well who's doing that and he he mentioned the dream center and wow. we thought well i've seen enough of it you know that let's do it and it's been hundreds of families a week and uh wow. and just get food for a week and then and we combine it with a church mess a message in a church service so our church services start on friday morning at 9 30 is our first service wow. and it's it's the distribution since friday groceries is what we call it but um you know i i know that we hooked up with you and Angel, Sandy and I did, um, in your outreach in in the the old Mormon compound that you bought that is just mind blowing. It it just I love it. it. It here's what God did. He took what the enemy meant for bad and redeemed it into something just absolutely incredible. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I'll never forget that back when our first group of ministers that went up to Colorado City, one of the first groups, and you and Sandy stepped forward and gave a very generous gift in, in a time of need because we were stepping into it, kind of going about knowing it was just an opportunity given to us. And we said, we don't know how to speak the language of the fundamental Latter-day Saints, you know, the Mormon church. Uh, but what God has done there has just been so amazing. Uh, we began with Warren Jeff's mansion, 27,000 square foot little shack <laughs> where all his uh, 86 wives lived, hundreds of children. And um, when he finally was put in federal prison for molesting a 12 year old girl and they had it on, on tape, finally caught him. Uh, his 65th wife, Brielle Decker, was awarded uh, that 27 acre, 27 square foot, 10 acre campus. And she somehow escaped the whole city up there and made it down to our Phoenix Dream Center. And she, her life was changed. And she said, if, if you can do this here, could you do it up in, in my house up in Colorado City? But we didn't expect a 27,000 square foot home. 
And she gave that to us to say, would you rescue young ladies from human sex trafficking and uh, familial trafficking is what it was and uh, polygamy. And so from there, we went there and Joyce Meyer was so generous to us. She put a million dollars into that home to renovate it, get rid of all the triggers for the ladies in the community there. And we filled up that home full of about a hundred women rescued out of polygamy and their families. They're not small families, you know, 16, 17 kids, you know, per, per wife. And um, so then we purchased the home next door, which was a just an 11,000 square foot home. All the homes up there, as you know, are, are huge because <laughs> it's polygamy, a lot of big families. And uh, that home was built for teams to come up there and serve in the community uh, and from churches. And so and then we saw a great need for food in the community. It was really just a town that was decimated by Warren Jeffs and all the men left the town. It was a town full of teenage mothers with all these children. And so we said they need food. So we bought the only few food distribution center in the whole city. And um, we give away, we, we feed half the city. There's about 9,000 people in the city, half the city every week yeah. uh, up there. And uh, it's really given us um, a way to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ, to feed them before we teach them. And then we just recently bought another home because our home was full. Maybe you don't know this yet. We bought another 15,000 square foot home for those who are six months into the program can now graduate into this home to clear more space for more women and families to come in. So it's just been a, a blessing to the city. The city's changing. There was a darkness and an oppression over the city when we first arrived. And now kids are in the streets playing again and joy has been restored to the city. Um, now they had their first non-FLDS mayor of the city. And catch this, he's a graduate of Southeastern University, wow. one of our Christian colleges. So we've seen miracle after miracle up there. Well, when when we were up there, we there was a there was a concert associated with our visit and where I got to spend some just incredible time with your dad, but just watching the families walk through there of it, the, the oppression that it it's heinous. And so the work you're doing, I mean, is, is just phenomenal. I mean, it's, it's interesting because, you know, if I've got a few bone to picks, with the leadership maybe of of the body of Christ, especially in America, is that I think people have a heart for souls, and I think that's awesome. But, man, there's very few real soul winners. And, my goodness, the Barnetts, you guys are just, I mean, it's like the Wild West for you guys, just <laughs> winning the loss and winning souls. I mean, who would think about going to Colorado City where Jeff's was, where... In the aftermath, I mean, the the hurt, the pain, the victimhood of these people, and then just giving them some liberty. I mean, having a having a plan. How genius is it, Luke, to have a plan for for women that have been there six months? I mean, that's a huge graduation out of the yeah. life that they were in. Into right. if if they're not free yet, they could see freedom from there. Yeah. Man, that's amazing. So you know, one of the things when we went there, we were concerned that, you know, the the Mormon church in Provo and Salt Lake City would start a war with us. They didn't want us in their territory. So we sent Brian Steele, the director of our Dream Center, up to talk to the bishops. 
And to our surprise, they said, we want you to go there. We've heard all about the Dream Center. Welcome. Please go there. And so uh, not that you seek the the approval of the Mormons, but we, we had their favor. <laughs> well, that was a pretty distinct black eye for them. So you, you probably served them as well trying to get off the hook for that baggage, you know. But right. And I don't know that people really know. I think there was a there was a maybe a documentary or a movie or something about it. But just seeing it firsthand, these people, I mean, I'll tell you, the concert is what, I mean, yeah, the 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 27,000 square foot house, walking through there, um, eating a meal there was, you, you look at the bedrooms, you look at the almost interrogation rooms and the, it, it just was, I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, it, it was just, it was re, re, just evil. And, and then going to that concert and just seeing people, I'm just like, it was heartbreaking. You know, you'd see a 25 year old girl with eight kids that are hers that, you know, and man, I'm I'm just telling, thank you very much for what you do and what you did there. And that's, listen, that's just a sliver of the, of the pie from from your your church, your life, your ministry, your your family, um, you know, I'm just I, I know you do nights of freedom, where you know you take you take a stand that very few have the courage to take today in ministry. I'm I mean, there's there's a concern about you know the cancel culture in the world, and and it's causing people to cancel out themselves and put a bushel over their lights so that we don't get canceled. And I'm I'm thinking you know I mean I we we can't I, I get social media can be a tool. I'm I, I'm 65 years old. It's not a tool that I it's in my toolbox, but I I, I get how it, it's important to be able to communicate however you can, but watering down or limiting your message because it's, you're going to be canceled or you're going to be persecuted. You know, honestly, that's what we need to be built for. We need to be built for persecution. We need to be built for, you know, the storm, if you will. Well, I agree a hundred percent. And honestly, um, there's just something in me that really can't understand why, you know, certain pastors and, and ministers wouldn't really talk about what they feel in their hearts. I mean, um, probably most of the pastors that, you know, come to our dream conference and feel like we feel about the issues of our day. I mean, you have to be way off not to, you know, see it the Lord's way with these transgender issues and, you know, all these um, LBGTQ, you know, issues. Most pastors feel the way that we feel. And why wouldn't you share how you really feel in your heart, you know, about these issues? And uh, so we've tried our best over the past three years now just to make a strong declaration and confession of not God, but Jesus Christ in our culture. Because Jesus is a representative of the Godhead on this earth. Yeah, And Jesus said, I want you to confess me, not my father. I want you to confess me before men. If you confess me, I'll confess you before my father. And so, uh, and not just Jesus, but how he feels about the issues of our day. And so, you know, we've been lying with uh, Charlie Kirk, you know, Charlie Kirk, uh, 
attends our, our church here. And he, um, he and I came up with a plan to really go after the young minds of our states. We have Freedom Night every first Wednesday of every month where we just talk about the issues locally, what's happening uh, in our city. We encourage our people to get out on the front lines, to get in these school board meetings, you know, and uh, to run for elected office and to really make a difference. And, uh, you know, we were one of the, the, the Freedom Night was a major proponent in seeing uh, critical race theory overturned and uh, our governor outlawing it in Arizona. Wow. Because of that night, he attributes it to that. So I, I feel like we're truly making a difference in a lot of these areas. And um, I don't know, I, I just think it's wonderful to be able to go to bed at night and sleep well and knowing that you are true to yourself and true to your convictions. You know, I years ago, I met a pastor in Chicago and he was running for mayor and I and he, a great guy and a, and a pretty bold personality. And um, he and I really hit it off. And. And it was just, it was an impact in my life just the few times that we met. And he was running for mayor. And, and you know, I was thinking in the back of my mind, that's going to be a steep hill to climb, the mm-hmm. mayor of Chicago. And, he, and then as I was thinking that, he said, you know why I'm running? I said, I'm, uh, I'm sure you, that God put it on your heart or that you want to be the mayor. He said, nope, I just want a voice in those meetings. I want to speak mm-hmm. at the debates. And I thought about that. I thought, so when you bring it up to people about people running for office or getting in the in the ring, it's like if it's just to to to, to lay seed down, if it's just and I'm not I'm a, I'm about winning, man. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to do it, we might as well win. And right. but the but the point is, is that, man, that otherwise uh, just with the algorithms of social media and the way things right now are spun. Man, there's a lot that there people have opinions on things that the they're not based on truth nor even factual things. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of times facts and truth differ. You know, the truth never changes, it always prevails that facts change. But you know, I just I think that's admirable. I think that that's that's amazing about what you and Charlie are doing. Well, I appreciate that. I I really don't call or view ourselves as being admirable. It's just it's just the right thing to do. It's just, uh, it's really, you know, uh, who we are. You know, my dad, my dad raised us to uh, try our best to be people of integrity, which is, you know, telling the truth and, and practicing what you say you believe. And uh, so th- these are things that we believe. We talk about and with as shepherds. So your church, that uh, this is what. Jesus said about these issues and talk about them. The reason why we're having, we're losing the next generation of kids is because the church isn't talking about these issues. Everybody else is talking about it, by the way, unashamedly. Right. And the church, you know, uh, I think at at large has kind of uh, hem and hawed about it. And so the young people think, well, they must not have anything to say about this. And in that vacuum, you know, culture grabs a hold of our kids. Well, you know, it, it's interesting. Um, I I watched an interview from 1995. These two guys, they're college professors, and they were talking. And one guy asked asked one of them. He said, he asked a question. What do you see as the biggest issue? And the guy, this is 1995. He said, the biggest issue I see in America today is going to be gender confusion. Mm-hmm. And I thought, 
wait a minute, that's 28 years ahead of your time. And he said, right. The guy said, well, is that what you see on the horizon? He said, that's what I see right now. And you know, what bothers me, what, what I appreciate about what you're doing is because what bothers me is the church is either playing catch up or defense. We're, we're never out in front of things. I mean, in, in, if we'd have thought, Luke, in 1995 that the enemy was going to use gender confusion as something that's going to just tear into families, we'd, I'd have thought, that's crazy. I mean, who, yeah. it's silly. It doesn't make any sense. Yet now, look at it. I mean, my goodness, I don't know a public school that doesn't have that as a part of their staple just because they have to add it because they can't. They can't, it's almost a, a new minority of people that, that social minority and I, you know, that has to be recognized and has to be, be fawned upon. And, um, uh, it, it's, it's amazing that you're right. I, it's funny because for, for decades, I tried to stay out of the politics. I, you know, I didn't bring it into the pulpit. I didn't. And, and, and it's funny because I've talked to my wife and a few of the leaders in our church that. You know, too often now, politics, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm going to run in my lane. But politics has swerved into my lane. So, wait, I can't not address it. They're running in my lane with me. I mean, it's become a religion. It really has. It's become a belief system, you know. And, you know, I think about it that it's the trend that the, what you're setting as a leader. Because we're truly where are the leaders? You know, I mean, right. people are... And, and I've got a different definition probably of leadership than most people do. It's that you take responsibility, you get out in front, you take responsibility, and you get prepared to take the hit. Leaders take the hit. And, you know, I mean, you know, it, it's funny. You growing up in it, you probably had an idea of the vulnerability of your life as being that guy. So in 2011, when you took the reins, when your dad had the heart deal, I mean, you knew about the... The, the how vulnerable you are going to be and, you know, like sleep sheep to the slaughter kind of thing. And, but I'll tell you, man, God is rewarding and transform and you and transforming people's lives because of your boldness. Well, I appreciate that. And, um, you know, I was talking to our staff meeting, our staff today in our staff meeting and, um, I, I told him to, to envision a few things. Think about George Bush standing on that rubble heap at the Twin Towers, you know, after the, uh, the attack. And then think about Adolf Hitler standing before tens of thousands of soldiers giving his speech. And then Mussolini standing in front of all those soldiers. All three of them had one thing in common at least one thing, and that was confidence. They stood, and of course, Mussolini and Hitler were evil people, and they had an evil vision. But take George Bush. Our country was attracted to him like a magnet because as a leader, he stood up with confidence. He said, this is what happened. This is where we're going, and this is how we're, we're going to come out on the other side. And I think that during this time, that's what our churches need. Uh, pastors and leaders who will stand up with confidence, uh, rightly dividing the issues and uh, talking about 
and how we're going to take our stand and navigate through it. And then what that's going to look like on the other side, because ultimately we know we win. But uh, I never forget a lesson my dad taught me back in 2013 when we were building our first big building under my leadership. We were building our lobby and uh, we had to tear off one eighth of the octagon of our sanctuary, which is it was a massive tear down and rebuild about an eight and a half million dollar project just for the lobby. And um, our accounting team had made an error. I went into the last board meeting and said, it's completely debt free, it's completely paid off. And um, they informed me after the fact that we still like a million five on the building. And I was so ticked off. I was ready to let hedge roll. And we ultimately did make some changes in our accounting <laughs> department after that. But I said, man, I've lost credibility with our board. I told them that, you know, we were paid off. We were debt free. They're going to think I'm an incompetent leader. And he said, listen, go into the board with confidence. The crisis won't scare them, but a leader without confidence will scare them. So go in there and tell them the problem, but then have a plan. Here's how we're going to come out of it. With God's help, we're going to succeed on the other side. And that, that taught me something. You know, when you go into board meetings and you go before your church during times of crisis in a board meeting or in our nation, stand up there with, with confidence and let them know, yeah, there is an issue. But then tell them the plan, how we're going to come through this. And that's what we did with, you know, Turning Point USA and during this crisis in our nation. Uh, we told our church what we're going to do. And then they rallied. So, yeah, I think that's what really we need courageous confidence these days in our leaders. Well, and, you know, the Bible says everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Right. And, man, homes, schools, economy, the, everything's being shaken in America. And, you know, we've got to understand we're built for that to not fall apart. You know, with the we're built for the storm. Our foundation's on the rock. You know, now thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. We win. And you represent that winning and that victory. Man, I, you should have you should have taped your dad telling you that and just sent it to all all the other pastors in the country. That's helped me so much. <laughs> now when I go into any kind of meeting, I just uh, stir up my confidence, but also have a plan. This is the best I have right now. This is what I feel God's telling us. And, I, you know, if you'll go with me in four months, if it's a mistake, I'll be the first one to take responsibility. But if you'll go with me, I believe that we are going to come through this. Yeah. And that's really what they want to hear. And really, honestly, being somebody that is a part of a church, that's what's fulfilling. Let's go. We're biting off a little more than we could chew. But I, I believe together, you know, Acts 4.13 says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived them unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they'd been with Jesus. And that's the boldness we have to have. Amen. You know, I mean, it's 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 just incredible. It's, um, you know, and I mean, and I, I love the competitive nature, the competitive spirit that you have. You know, we played golf. We've, 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 we've had meals, um, and I, I thrive around competitive men. It's too. It's too. We feel the same way. We don't get to hang out a, a whole lot, but when we do, we pick up right where we left off. Well, <laughs> I would. I'm probably pretty late to the party relationally with most people. So, 
it, it's I'm the common denominator here, I think. But, um, you know, I, I believe that the work God started is faithful to complete. What do you like? And this is the age old, you know, man, where do you see the church going? Where do you like? I, I, I'm not asking about a crystal wall prognosis crystal ball but I'm 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 just saying where do you where do you see things heading because I'm I I don't want to play catch up I don't want to play defense I want to go to the throttle and throw it back and 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 get out in front Okay this is the way I see it I have a lot of friends who pastor churches and they've pastored the last 3 years through all this mess my friends who have taken a stand and they have pushed back and pushed back hard and they're fighting the cultural batters, they are battles, they're thriving. They are thriving. My friends who pastor great churches, COVID hit, they shut down. They didn't fight back. They just followed all the government protocols. They didn't open. They saw the people in their churches leaving their churches, going to churches who would open and their churches were decimated. I truly believe that churches who will not take a stand or the Bible stands on all these issues, I don't have to go through them, we all know what they are, they're right in our face like never before. People are marching today for things that we never thought we'd see them march for. We're seeing commercials today that we never in our lifetime thought we would see, and they're not apologizing. It's just what they're saying is this is the way it is. So deal with it. Okay. While all that's happening, we're seeing churches back off. I don't understand it. It's it, this, this is our, our moment to shine. Right. This is our moment, you know, that we've been waiting for our whole life to take our stand. And so that's how I feel. I feel that churches who will really take a stand and do it appropriately, you know, I'm not talking about going out and looking for fights, but you know, early in my ministry, I tried to be so relevant. Hey, I, I was brought up under, under Bill Hybels, and of course my dad here as well, but my dad turned me on to Bill Hybels because he was a soul winner. So I, I went there and I, I was, he spoke my language, you know, and um, I thought they taught pretty strong on all the issues that we're even talking about here today. But they were seeker sensitive as well, you know that. And so I, you know, was kind of... Um, you know, I went down that alley for a while and down that road for a while. And um, but, you know, something happened in 2020 where there was man a line drawn in the sand. And so I drew my line in the sand, too. And I said, you know, like the Hebrew children, I'll, I'll eat your food. I mean, I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll be trained by your school teachers. You know, I'll receive my paycheck from you with Nebuchadnezzar. But I'm going to draw, there's one, I'll draw a line of sand. I'm not going to eat your food, you know. And I told our church, you know, all of us need to draw our line in the sand and say there's one line, there's a few lines that we will never, ever cross. And uh, so I think the churches who will do that, you know, are going to thrive. This is what I want to say. My dad had a talk with me during this time. And he said, if we're not careful, we can build our churches in such a way that we're trying to be relevant to everyone in culture, trying to reach people who have already rejected Jesus and build a whole culture within the church 
for people who have rejected Jesus, they made a decision, and they, they, they're, they're never even going to give us an audience, okay? So when we took our stand, this is what happened. We were in the news every day. President Trump came to our church in 2020 during the summer of love, George Floyd and all that, okay? It was not our event. It was Charlie Kirk's event. It was the height of COVID, not a mask. 5,000 people in our auditorium. It wasn't our event. Not a mask in the whole place, you know? I'm like, oh, dear Lord, this, this is going to be awful, you know. We had uh, 20 of our staff members leave. They said either cancel the event or we're leaving. So I said, you're asking me to do something that I can't do. We signed a contract. We gave our word. I, I can't cancel that. And so what happened as a result of all that was we were in the press. We were in the news. We were that church in Phoenix who was taking the stand. Well, there's a whole group of people in our city who are conservative people who didn't know Jesus, okay? But they aligned with our values. And they said, we're going to go visit that church. We, we like the fact that they're strong and they're brave and they're taking a stand. And Bill, I got to tell you, every conservative in our city began to come to our church. These are people who are the, the fathers of our city. Right, right. Affluent people started coming to church and we lost a few people along the way who wouldn't stand with us, but we gained hundreds, thousands of people in our city who came, didn't know Jesus, found the Lord, and our church has exploded since that time. So I think that, you know, we have it backwards in some of our churches. Fear has kept them from standing strong, but it's stepping into it is what's going to you know, bring people into the church and grow the church. And we've lived it firsthand here. Well, you know, I mean, there's, there, there are basic principles that I learned little league sports. You know, I had a coach, I'm, I'm 10 years old, played football. And he, he talked to us about how, how to beat a double team. He said, you can't, mm. when you're being double teamed, you can't beat two people. He said, you know how you win? You got to beat one of them. Well, that's how this is. And that's not backing down and cowering or, you know, I mean, Paul said, though I'm pressed from every side, I receive no pressure in my heart. And, you know, I just, I think that the arrows by day and the terrors by night are just a part of what we bought into. But what we do is we don't flinch, we don't cower, we don't blink, we don't back down. And I'll tell you, I, I 1,000% agree, if we're bold, if we just take a stand, we don't have to We don't have to go march on the cap. I mean, if we just take a stand for who we are, then – and you know what's, what's awesome still about America is there's still a First Amendment. Right. And I've told our elected officials when, when it all came down, I said, listen – I appreciate all the all the mandates and protocols and things, but as long as there's a First Amendment, I made a commitment over 40 years ago to God. I gave my life to Jesus. I didn't like church. I didn't fit in. So I said, God, even though I don't like it, even though I don't fit in, I'm going to be there every Sunday. And I made a commitment, and I've held I've held to it for my whole Christian walk now for over 40 years. But I'm not going to break that commitment because— of a pandemic. And right. I get that it was serious. I, I'm not, man, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you want to social distance, social distance. But 
man, I'm just telling you, it's, it, it's hard. It would have been hard. It would have been impossible for you to do what you, what God's called you to do. If you had to limit it to a hundred people in your sanctuary. Right. So I said, I'm, I can't do that. I mean, and, they, and, and then I had elected officials that said, how are you going to do it? I said, we're going to unlock the doors and turn the lights on. I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to, to lure people in or get people to be uncomfortable. If they want to come, they can come. This is still America. Well, and it worked out for us. Yeah. You know, during that time, I think we all, the first month when the president asked us to close the doors for three weeks, you know, we all just tried to be good citizens. And we said, we'll play ball and we'll do that. Well, then three weeks later, they said, no, we want you to shut down for six months or eight months. We just said, nah, we, we cannot do that. And so, um, you know, we, we opened the doors at that point. And uh, but before we did that, we took a survey among our church members. It's pretty interesting. And we asked, if we were to open the doors this week to come back, would you come back? 90% of the people who are most at risk, the older crowd, 16 over, said, yes, we'll come back. <laughs> 90% of the 20 to 35 great, 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 uh, group said, no, we wouldn't come back. Isn't that amazing? So no. people, it, it tells me a lot about the how the older generation values church and the work of the Lord and how much we have work to do with the younger generation, you know, um, and helping them understand the value of the bride of Christ, the church, and how important it is. Well, and how strong the algorithms are that, communicate to them too, I believe too, as well, right. which I, I, I say that, but have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> but it sounds good. <laughs> yeah. I was very impressed that you can say algorithm. Yeah, no, I can say <laughs> it, but then I've got to just listen to what somebody else says about it. Well, I, I'll tell you what, let me ask you this, just for whoever's watching this, what are you personally believing God for Luke? Okay. In 2013, officially, I became the pastor of our church. My dad passed the baton. Got a baton right here <laughs> where I'm kneeling down there. I cherish this. And they're praying over us. That's awesome. At that time, I went to the mountain behind our church because for the first time in my life, in ministry life, I felt like there was something missing, something wrong. I didn't have a vision for our church. And this church had always been led by a man who always had his fuel tank full. He always had vision for the future. I could teach a little and lead a little bit, but I, I need a fresh revelation from God for our future. So I knew that in 2023, 10 years, we would be 10 years old. It's a hundred years old as a church. So this year we are a hundred years old. So I began to ask God, went on the mountain for 40 days, for about an hour and a half in the morning, went on a Daniel fast for 40 days and nothing but bird seeds and twigs and leaves. <laughs> went down to 155 pounds from 180 pounds. But I was so hungry for God. And God showed me five things that I really felt in my heart that were going to happen in the next 10 years. And um, he just downloaded this in my, into my heart. So here I am, freshly voted in and... About two months after that, we're going to the mountain. I came to our church and said, this is what I believe for the next 10 years. I believe that we're going to reach 50,000 people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and baptize them in water. 
in the next uh, 10 years. I believe that we're going to become the arts hub of Arizona, not Arizona State University, not U of A. The world has taken the arts from us. We're going to take them back and elevate them and use the arts to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number three, I said we're going to be a multi-site church. We're going to cast our web of love across the state of Arizona and win people to Jesus Christ. Number four, we're going to have 100,000 people at our dream conferences in the next 10 years. Uh, and the last thing is we're going to be debt-free in the year 2023. Okay? So we started off, and, and I shared that vision with our church, and I was kind of afraid to share it because, you know, you're on the hook for it. Those are some big rings. Oh, yeah. And uh, God spoke to my heart and said, secret faith is shallow faith. Just proclaim it. So I did. And the first thing we had to do was rebuild the lobby. And that was going to be $8 million. I'd never raised a penny in my life in my ministry before. And so, you know, God showed us a plan how to raise that debt free in just three years. And we did that lobby project. All these things started happening. The last thing was the multi-site church. It just wasn't happening. I thought, man you know, maybe we got our, our, our signals crossed and maybe that wasn't one of the five things that God showed me. But then when we were ready, um, church in North Scottsdale called us and they had built this 27 acre campus out there, uh, about a $13 million campus. And the pastor had been raised in our church and he was 70 years old. And he called me up and said, do you know of anyone who would take this church? And I began to share what God put in my heart about being a multi-site campus. And they gave us, our first campus in 2016. And then a, a month after we launched that, Pastor Walt Kalistad, you know, some of your listeners may know that name. He was pastor of the largest Lutheran church in America back in the 80s and 90s. A friend of my dad, he heard, he said, we heard about Luke's dream of trying to reach the whole state of Arizona. Could we become a dream seed location? And they gave us a 72-acre campus, 2,000 seat auditorium, gymnasium, uh, 500, you know, person school. And then one after the other, churches began to come to us. And I, I had no idea how this was ever going to come to pass, but I didn't, I didn't reject the dream. I just received it by faith. And yeah. he said, God, if, if this is really you, then I don't know how to do it. You're gonna and today we have nine campuses that reach out all throughout Arizona and Southern California as well. The last thing that God showed us was that we we're gonna be debt-free by 23. I want you to imagine this, all these campuses that we were given to us had a little bit of debt. Yeah. When my dad passed this campus off, we had 13 million in debt. We bought the Glendale campus, the Lutheran church, and um, they had a $7 million debt, but it was valued at 30, $40 million the campus. The Scottsdale campus had a $3 million debt. So we're kind of going the wrong way, being debt-free at 23. Now we have a $22 million debt. And I stopped talking to our board about that when I was hoping they wouldn't ask me about it because <laughs> I had no clue how it was ever going to happen. Well, here we are, 2023, back up to 2022. I'm thinking, Lord, I, I really feel like you showed me this, but I don't know how it's going to happen. Lennar Holmes comes to us and said, you have a 20 acre piece of property at that Glendale campus, you know, that we paid $7 million for the Lutheran campus. We would like to buy 
20 of those acres for $21 million. <laughs> At the last minute, God stepped in. Kind of reminds me of the story in the Old Bible, in the Old Testament, where God told them, go out and dig some ditches yeah. and don't dig a few. Dig a lot of them. And supernaturally, I'll fill them with water. They've run out of water. They were in a drought. We've been digging ditches up in Colorado City. <laughs> We've been digging ditches building these campuses and then supernaturally at the last wow. moment God stepped in. So that's a little context we're gonna say next. Now we're at the next we're at hundred years old today. So I've been challenging myself and challenging our staff to get along with God and go on a fast and begin to ask God, what do you see for the next 10 years? What is your vision for our church? Where are we to go? What are, what are we to be focusing on? What do you want your church to look like in 10 years? And honestly, that's how God kind of speaks to me. My dad, my dad doesn't, he doesn't speak to my dad that way. You know, he just goes in opportunities when they open up, let's just walk down that trail for a while and see if God will bless it. But I'm, I'm built differently. And so um, that's what's next for Dream City Church. And for me personally, I'm going away in about three, about four weeks on a, about a month break. Boy, I'm going to be just digging in, praying and asking God to once again, pour his big bucket of vision and yeah. revelation into my life and, and just show me what's next for our church. Well, I, I'll tell you what's what's interesting. You being 100 years old, I was praying a few months ago and God put it in my heart to, he was going to give me, this sounds so awkward, except what you just said, to believe him for vision for a 100-year church. Amen. And... I'd never heard till now of anybody having vision for a hundred year church. And since you guys have done it now, precedent's been set. God's a precedent keeping God. It's like, okay, God, you did it for them. And, but that's, I believe that's how I think the problem with the church is we've gotten together as leaders and said, okay, what's your, what's your plan this year? Or what's the word God gave you for this year? Or what's your three or five year plan? I think all that's great, but Man, the, the world, China, Russia, India, they're playing the long game. And I think it's important for the apostolic voice in the church to have vision for the long game. Amen. I'm with you. And we've seen the benefit of it here. And so we're really challenging our leaders because our leaders have to have that vision as well in our church. It can't just be the senior pastor. Oh, a thousand percent. And uh, not just the leaders of our church, the leaders of our business people, our, our business people in the church. Sure. The future of our church depends on them growing as leaders as well and building their businesses and right. which is going to bless their families and bless the church. And so we all grow together. So that we're, we're excited about what God has next. We don't know exactly what it is yet, but I'm confident that, he did it before. He'll do it again. Well, man, from the bottom of my heart, can I thank you for taking this time with you and and you carving this out for us and just being my friend. Man, I appreciate you. Well, the feeling is mutual. And uh, when you and your wonderful wife uh, came to our life a few years ago, we just felt some people, you just know that they're just going to be friends, whether you're with them or away from them for a while. And you're just uh, kind of knit together your heart. So thank you for being our friend, not just verbally, but you guys have really put your money where your mouth is. And it's, it's, it's um, just feel so blessed to have you guys in our lives and look forward to a lot of great times in the future. Well, 
God bless you, brother. I'm going to, I'm going to just take this time to close this podcast. And I know I'm so appreciative of Luke and I know you guys are too. Look him, look him up on, on the internet. Um, you, you guys can figure that out. Um, you don't need my help with it, but it's, and, and be praying for him. I mean, these guys are making a remarkable difference. You think about somebody with nine campuses in Southern California and Arizona with a with a target of reaching that state, and then beyond that, Colorado City, and you know who knows who. And, and I'll tell you that could become a hub of incredible ministry. That you know, I mean, it. I, I see that as almost a Gideon, where he was the 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 least among the lowest among that. You know what I mean? And God used him as a man of valor and. And that's what's going to happen in Colorado City, and 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 even beyond what they're what they're going to do. I I want to I want to throw in a, a a little spiel here for the Guts X School of Ministry. It's not a Bible school; it's a, a school of ministry with our flavor. And what we've done is we're going to import some of my my friends and and men of God, women of God around the country that are going to be a, a part of it. Uh, Pastor Luke's going to instruct um, just about how to how to dream for God, man. I mean, it's things like that that people need to know. And, man, it, it keeps my dream alive. God uses people in our life to keep our dream alive. And that's a tremendous gift that the Barnetts have. Um, but if, if you want to, you can you can go to gutschurch.com and, and just look at the Guts X um, material and just, and just, if it's something, if you want to, if you want to be trained in ministry to reach real people and get out of the church, a, to serve in the church and build the church, but get out of the church and pull people in and grow God's kingdom. I believe it's going to be a benefit for you. So I want to thank you for watching this podcast and I, I appreciate it. Um, Man, God put it in my heart before, just before this recording, to to pray for the people that are watching this. And I want you to know I'm praying for you. I'm believing God on your behalf. And I believe our best days are to come. Man, remember what the devil means for bad, God will turn to good. No matter what you're facing right now, man, I'm telling you, God's gonna open doors, he's gonna close doors, and it's gonna it's all gonna be advantageous for you. So God bless you. Thank you so much for watching.